So I'm sure you've been uh, paying attention to the news and seeing uh, a lot of what's going on in, uh, uh, over in the East. And so with Israel and uh, with Palestine and uh, all kinds of other countries that are jumping in on all the mix. And uh, when we see stuff like that, doesn't it bother you? Um, doesn't, isn't there tension in your heart? Um, because you see death and destruction and you see evil and you see um, the lack of care for humanity. Um, and, and so I, I've been paying attention. I've been watching what's going on and just, just even more recently here, just kind of diving in. And um, I've, I've just been troubled. Anybody else been troubled uh, by what you've been seeing? And, and then there's questions that begin to come up like, hey, what's up with Israel? Is, are we revelation? Uh, are we in the end times and all that kind of stuff? And, and who knows? Who knows what God's doing with that and how things line up. But what we do know is that, that God has called us to care about people. That God has invited us to pray for people who don't know Jesus. And so there are people all throughout the, the Middle East, um, in Israel and in Palestine, that just don't know Jesus. And lives are being lost. And so what we can do as a body right now is we can be praying um, that's what God has called us to. That, that's how this far away we get engaged in what's going on. And so as a body, we want to be praying for uh, people to know Jesus, uh, for lives to be protected, for all the carnage to stop. Um, so we're praying for peace, but we're praying that the hope that people want to see is in Jesus. The healing that people need to see, that it would be in Jesus. And so we want to pray for people. Uh, Michelle has done a fantastic job of putting uh, prayer prompts in the connection, the RCC connection letter. So if you, if you don't get that email on the bottom of your sheet of paper where you can sign up for all kinds of things, um, there's uh, RCC connection. You can sign up for connection. If there are, if there, if you want to know some specific ways of how we can pray for Israel um, and uh, the people throughout Palestine, uh, that's an opportunity for you. Uh, so you know, fill it out, put it in a box, and we'll make sure that you get that connection so you can see those prayer points. Um, but right now, we'll just, we'll, we'll pray for uh, Israel, um, and we'll pray for Palestine, and we'll pray for people to know Jesus. Um, so again, let's pray. Uh, Father, uh, you are doing uh, a work that we can't see. We see death, we see destruction, we see pain, and we see uh, an opportunity um, for your church to step in uh, we see an opportunity uh, for hope and healing to be involved, and we see an opportunity that where there's chaos, um, Jesus can enter in. And so we pray, God, that carnage would stop. We pray for those on both sides of Gaza, um, that they would see Jesus. They would see their deep need <clears throat> for a savior for their lives. Um, I pray that they would see that the utopia that they're striving for and reaching for is not found in more land grab. It's not found in defeating an enemy, um, but it is only found in Jesus. And so I pray that uh, people would see you and it would be clear that there would be no doubt. And so where we don't know how to pray, fill, fill our words um, with, uh, with, with the truth through the Holy Spirit. And so we... Uh, if there are other ways that you want us to be involved, Lord, I pray that you would make them clear and let us see. But right now, Lord, we're doing the best thing that we know how, and it is to pray and ask for your intervention and for Jesus to be seen clearly. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, open your Bibles uh, to Ezra, Ezra chapter seven. Um, does that make you sweat, trying to find Ezra? Yeah? Um, so if you have no idea where Ezra is, open your Bible halfway 
And then that first half, split it about halfway, and you'll land in like 1 Kings, 2 Kings, uh, 1st, 2nd Chronicles, and then you're going to find Ezra right after those Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah. Um, so it's a, a little book that gets kind of hidden in there, but it is a fantastic book. Um, now, if you were to ask me, or let me, let me say, if I were to ask you, um, what matters most to you in your life? What, what would you say? Um, what matters most to you? And that's not rhetorical. I actually want to hear you say what matters most to you. Family. Jesus. What matters most? People, who said that? People finding Jesus. There you go. People finding Jesus. Hope. Hope matters most. What matters most to you? In your life, in your family, what matters most? Support, who said that? Support, that matters most. Support, okay. Thank you for limited involvement. Um, I appreciate that. Um, that's your last time that you get to talk, so no more talking through, throughout the time. You, some of you blew it. Um, when you think about the local church, what should matter most in the local church? What should matter most in the church that you call your home church. Now you can ask that question uh, in, any, in any community throughout the United States and you're gonna find all kinds of different answers. Uh, someone say what matters most to them in a church is that they would find good preaching. Amen? Yeah. So, some would say that what matters most to them is that they would find a, a good children's program at that church. Some would say what matters most is a church that focuses on social justice and the issues of the times. Some would say what matters most to them in a church is that they would be focusing on, on equity and diversity. Some would say that what matters most to them in a church is that they would be a place where everybody is welcomed or that it would be a place that engaged the community that they were a part of. Again, you, you can ask people all throughout the United States and you're gonna get all kinds of different answers on this. But for Riverview folks who have been, for, have been here for a really long time, you know that there are some weight behind those words. What matters most is not, just a set, it's not just a couple words that are strung together. There's weight that's behind that because for us, and it came from the back back there, what matters most has been a question for us to help us identify why are we here? Why at this time in history, in the state of Nebraska, in the little community of Ashland, what matters most to us? Why are we here? And so we've said historically what matters most to us is people finding Jesus. That, that's, that's what matters to us. We want to see people finding Jesus. We want to see people meet him. We want to see people see that he and his ways are, are radically different and infinitely better than anything else that the world has to offer and that we would want everything that he has to offer so much that we would be willing to walk away from everything else in our life to be willing to walk away from the sin patterns of our, of our life and be willing to let him transform our lives or change our lives from the inside out am i right so what matters most is we've said we want to see people finding jesus and we want to see people experiencing true life in him once they come to Jesus. And so for Riverview, we've said that our mission statement is that we exist to help people find Jesus and to experience true life in him. That is our mission. That's what we're about. And we want to see that happen here. And we want to see it happen all around the world. 
Now, when you have a mission statement, there are values that you put along, like that help give you guardrails to meet that mission. And so we've said there are four core family values that we have at Riverview that we want to see helping us to cover the mission that God has given us. And so what we're going to do this morning is we are, we've, we've finished our Rooted series. We are jumping into a quick four-week series where we're going to talk about those four family values that we have as a church that help keep us online to meet the mission or to achieve the mission statement that we believe that God has given us as a church. And so what matters most is what we're going to be walking through for the next four weeks. Um, so we have four family values, and, and here's um, the list right here. So God's truth over our opinion, God's grace over our striving, God's family over our isolation, and God's mission over our comfort. And so for the next four weeks, we're going to walk through those. And the first one is what we're going to jump into this morning. So God's truth. Uh, over our opinion. And it actually might be, I think, the hardest value for us to chase after or to strive after or to move after because of the culture that we're currently living in. We've said we want to be about God's truth over our opinion, that we want to have, uh, we want to view everything through the lens of God's truth. That, that, like, the world is chaos, the world is crazy, and there's all kinds of truth that we're chasing after, but we want to look at everything that we do, all of the decisions that we make as an individual and as a church through the lens of God's truth, which I think is so much greater than what the world has to offer, okay? And, and so the question I want to ask you is how do you make your decisions as an individual and in your family? How are you making little decisions, big decisions, important decisions, life-altering decisions? There, there's a lot of things that are being thrown at us from our society and from our culture right now. Things um, that raise questions, things that bring up concerns and uh, bring up doubts and fears. There's confusion that's being thrown our direction. And so, like, how do you personally... How do you and your family, how do you sift through all that stuff? What, what, what's the grid by which you're making important decisions and theological decisions and biblical decisions on what you're, going to, what you're going to live for and what you're going to strive after and what you're going to hand down to your children? What's the grid by, by which you're, you're uh, sifting through these things? Um, what guides your family? What are the voices that you're listening to during this time? Uh, there's a, a recent Barna study that was done that found that uh, a little over half of the people who would identify themselves as Christians, these, these aren't just randos off the street, okay? These are people who, who would say that they identify themselves as Christians and who read their Bible on some semi-regular basis. They say that when they read the Bible, they, they let the word of God transform them or, or change them. So just over 50% of people say, when I open God's word, I, I'm open to him doing something different in, in my life. Now, that's significant. So if, if you're a person who opens up your Bible and you're reading it and you're saying, God, I want what you want here. Like, I want your thoughts to be my thoughts. I want to think like you think on this issue. I, I want your thoughts to be higher than my thoughts. I, I want my life to reflect what I'm reading in the text. I want you, Holy Spirit, to do work in my heart and my life. And if there's change that needs to be made, then make that change. If that's you, when you open up your Bible, you are part of that 50-ish percent of people who say, Lord, change me. 
Holy Spirit-inspired change in your life. I I want that. And if that's not you, then you're a part of that other 50-ish percent that's just not doing it. That's just not allowing the Lord to change your life. And here's why I think that is. And I'm about to sound like this, the grumpy old man who doesn't want to see anything change in culture and who's standing on the front porch like, get off my lawn. You know, I'm about, I think I'm about to sound like that guy, but I, I don't think that that's it really. I don't think I'm that grumpy old guy. The older I get, I feel like maybe I'm getting grumpier. This may surprise you, but there is, is one thing that I think that we all have in common. Every single one of us in this room, and I would go so far to say that it's not just in this room, but anybody, everybody who's ever lived all throughout history, that we have at least one thing in common, whether you be man, woman, child, ethnicity, nationality, background, it doesn't matter what's going on there. The thing that we all have in common is we all have an opinion. (laughs) Y'all like opinions, Um, your own opinions, but do you normally like always the opinion of, of somebody else? Now, brace yourself for this. We all have an opinion, and sometimes we think that our opinion should matter more sometimes than it actually does. Can we say that? Sometimes we think that our opinion actually matters more than it actually does. Now, um, our opinion, it's not a bad thing. Uh, Husbands, you should care to hear the opinions of your wives. Wives, you should care to hear the opinion of your husband. You both get get a say, okay? Uh, Moms and dads, you should care to hear about what your kids think about things. Doesn't doesn't matter. It doesn't mean that you're going to change your opinion necessarily, but you should care about what your kids think on things. We should have opinions, and we all do have opinions, and they're not a bad thing. But the problem that we run into with our opinion is when we begin to think that our opinion is king. That our opinion trumps everything else. Or when we begin to believe uh, that our, ourselves, that everybody can have their opinion. Like, you can have an opinion. You can, like, everybody gets an opinion. But at the end of the day, if your opinion conflicts with my opinion, yours doesn't matter. Mine is the only one that actually matters in this conversation. So what matters most then is for me to be heard and for my opinion to be accepted above others. Even right now as I'm speaking, I'm assuming that you will accept my opinion above whatever opinion you have. (laughs) Isn't that how it works? And so what matters most is that you would hear and be heard and that somebody would adopt and accept your opinion. And here's where that becomes dangerous for us. That leads to pride. It leads to arrogance. It leads to control. We begin to create this, this godlike complex where we're in charge, and then everybody has to come and bow down to us. And what that does is it keeps us from hearing the only opinion that I believe that truly matters, which is God's opinion, which, which is what God has to say about things. And so what does God have to say about our homes? What does God have to say about our friendships and what's going on in our society? What does God have to say about the decisions that we're making? What does God have to say about our lifestyle? What does God have to say about the things that are driving the news cycle? What does God have to say about the things that are filling up my podcast time when I'm driving back and forth to work? What does God have to say about the hot topics in culture? What does God have to say about the trans debate? What does God have to say about sexuality? What does God have to say about abortion? What does God have to say about our relationships? And so 
When we begin to ask that question, the natural question that flows from that is, am I willing to listen to God's opinion over my own? Am I willing to, uh, whatever he has to say, am I willing to allow him to change me? My thoughts, my actions, my behavior, my belief, am I willing to allow God to change my heart? Am I willing to listen to God's truth over my own opinion? Sociologists and theologians and philosophers alike, they would say that right now in this culture that we're living in, in the United States and really around the world, that we're living in something called a postmodern society. Anybody heard that? Um, and we might even be close to being past a postmodern society and living in a post-Christian society. And what that means is, is that at one point in history, there was a central governing rule of thought that, that most people could agree with, okay? That most, like, okay, there's a truth and we all kind of agree on what that truth is. And, and it doesn't mean that everybody lived by it. It just means that um, if you were to ask somebody about the truth and they, the moral and ethical absolutes, people would generally agree on that central truth that governed human society. So truth that governed society, truth that governed ethics, truth that governed our behavior and how we lived. Uh, but now... In a postmodern society, what's become the overarching ideology and the way that we think is this celebration of, of diversity of thought, celebration of diversity of opinion and diversity of truth. And there's a celebration of a society that's rejecting an absolute truth that governs ethics and morality and that governs how we function as a culture. And so once we held up the truth as the best ideal, like this, like there is an absolute and a solid truth. But now we're living in a, country, a culture that says, well, what is truth? There is no absolute truth. Like once we function under one truth, now we're like, is there truth? What, how? And what we're doing is we're beginning to weigh out the truth as if it's something that changes over time. Like truth, like, 200 years ago is not the same solid truth that we're living with now. Like somehow the truth is subject to change. So what's that mean for us? What that means is that the tension that we feel in our culture as believers and brothers and sisters in Christ, uh, that we feel in uh, the church, but we also feel in our own lives, is that there's been this wholesale rejection of the objective and the absolute truth that started with, with God and God alone. And so God's absolute truth, it's been replaced by subjective truth in, in a postmodern world. And when we try to live under the truth of God on, in any of these hot button issues, we feel the tension and we feel the pushback because it doesn't go with the popular opinion. It actually goes against the grain. Um, there's a fellow by the name of uh, James K. Smith. He's a professor of philosophy at Calvin College and the author of all kinds of books. And he says that we live in a culture that is afraid to and refuses to name anything as truth. Now, it, would you agree with that? Like, you guys with me? Okay. When there's no standard of truth, there is a moral and an ethical vacuum. But in our context... When there's no standard of truth, there becomes a, a biblical vacuum in our world as well. Is this making sense to, to anybody? We're just, we're just talking here? 
So we have a culture now that is starting to be built upon popular opinion winning the day instead of God's truth winning the day. And that's not just happening out there. That's happening in here. That's happening in the walls of the church, the big C church. Those things have made their way in. And so we have to go back to what matters most. What matters most for you? What matters most for us as a church? And so if you have Ezra chapter 7 there, um, go ahead and open that up. Ezra, now, he is writing in a time of transition for Israel. Uh, Right now, Israel, they've been kicked out of the promised land. Um, They've been out of the land for the past 70 years, and they've been captives in, in, in a land called Babylon. And What's happened is the temple's been destroyed. This was their place of worship. This was um, the place where they would go to hear from God. The people have been left in disarray. And now God's bringing them back into the land as he promised he would do. You're gonna be kicked out. It's gonna be 70 years. And then we're gonna bring you back into this promised land. The question has to be asked, why on earth would God kick his people out of the land that he promised to give them? Well, they were exiled because they wouldn't listen to God. Their opinion mattered to them more than God's opinion mattered to them. And here's the truth. For decades and decades, they lived like God didn't really, or it didn't really matter what God had said. For them, it was, you know, God doesn't really care about what we do. Um, We're his. We belong to him. We're the chosen people. We're in the family. He doesn't really care about what we do. And God kept saying, as they're living in this debauchery, he keeps yelling at them and saying, hey, I do care how you live. And he said, person after person after person, I do care about how you're living your lives. But they wouldn't listen. (laughs) They kept doing what they wanted to do. And so eventually God led them into the captivity of the hands of the Babylonians for 70 years. But now that time's over. They're on their way back into the land. They've had 70 years of captivity. And the question has to be now, how are you going to choose to live the next 70 years of your life? You were in captivity this past 70. So now what's the next 70 years of your life going to look like? Are you still going to do your own thing? Or are you going to start listening to the voice of God and have his truth over you rather than your own opinion over you? Is it going to be your opinion over God? Is it going to be God's truth over your opinion? And that's not just a question for... um, The Israelites, that's not just a question that Ezra asks them. This is a question for us, too. Isn't it a question that that we all kind of face sometimes? How are you going to choose to live the next five years of your life? How are you going to choose to live the next 10 years of your life, the next 15 years of your life? Knowing what you know now, going through what you've been through, seeing where God's carried you, seeing the challenges that you've had, how are you going to choose to live the next decade of your life? Is it going to be under your own umbrella of truth or is it going to be under the umbrella of God's truth? When you look at the book of Ezra, you can break it down into two sections. You have the first half, which is them focusing on rebuilding the temple, getting their place of worship back together. The second half of the book is all about focusing on God's word. It's about restoring his word and and what his word does in their hearts, rebuilding their spiritual lives, rebuilding their character, rebuilding their marriages, realigning their lives to depend on God over everything and anything else. Sorry, I'm battling a cold. How we choose to align our lives is actually important. And, And why is that? Because if you get the alignment off in your life, you get the whole thing off. 
So think in terms of if you're, if you're sailing a, a boat and you set out to shore and you're trying to make it to Jamaica. You're like, oh, we're, we're gonna have a, a fantastic time. And you're off a degree or two from the direction that you wanna go. What happens over time? You don't land where you wanna land. You land somewhere, some other island. What about if you're flying an airplane and you set out from, from, from uh, Omaha and you wanna fly to Texas and you get up into the air and you start steering a degree or two off of your path, what happens? Do you land in DFW? No. Who knows where you land? You don't land where you wanted to land. And it's the same with, with, with our lives. It's, you know, think about building your house. Those very first blocks of squaring up the house or squaring up the corners, it's important. Because if those first blocks aren't in place and they don't line up right, the whole house is gonna struggle fitting together. You're gonna be like, man, this was supposed to be two inches, but I guess we're gonna go two and a half on this one. Uh, all the way through the house, all the way through the build. And it, it's not gonna be structurally sound at some point. Um, when we were in the adoption process of, of bringing Laney home from Bulgaria, um, we had no money to do it. I don't know if anybody's looked into international adoption, it's very expensive. And we felt God had called us to it. And we're like, I don't know how it's going to happen. We're going to have to trust you with it. And so over time, he paid every bill that was, that was necessary um, by the gifts of other people and by things just showing up in there. I think saw miracle after miracle in bringing uh, our daughter home. Um, but one of the ways that we tried to, to raise money during that time to, to bring Laney home uh, was I, we, we were somewhere and I saw this farmhouse table. Y'all, like farmhouse is like a thing, right? Like Chip and Joanna have just ruined our life. Um, everything is farmhouse and shiplap, right? Uh, but we saw this, this farmhouse table and I'm like, oh, that looks, I could probably build that. I don't know. I have no carpentry skills. I've never built anything in my life. I'm like, uh, well, let's give it a shot. And so I took a picture of this table and I put it online and I said, hey, if, if you want a table like this, uh, give me a call. I'll build it for you. And, and then people started emailing me. And, I, and they're like, hey, would you build it? I'm like, oh, man. Like, now i got to figure out how to do this. And so um, I started building these uh, tables. And then somebody asked me, they said, hey, can you uh, customize a table that looks like this? And I'm like, Sure. And, and again, like no carpentry skills, guys. And, and so uh, I start building this table and I'm like, oh, this is looking pretty good. Um, but somewhere along the end of the build, um, I started to put like, it's like a, the last leg or, or, or like a little shelf or something on it. And I'm like, oh, this is not working. And, and so like it didn't line up. And now, so I'm like pushing it. I'm like, where are the clamps? And I'm pointing, you know, and things like, and, and I'm like, oh, this is not good. And then so I get it together, I force it together, and then I take a step back and I look at it, I'm like, oh, that is real wonky. Like, that does not look right at all. And, and, and so uh, all along the process, like, it mostly looked right. But when I got to the end, I'm like, oh, like, somewhere along the beginning, it was off. The alignment wasn't right in, in the beginning. And so the end product was, was way off. Um, the alignment of our lives is like that. If we start in the wrong place, we're gonna end up in the wrong place. If we start in the wrong place, we're gonna end up with a wonky life. And the question really is, how wonky am I willing to accept? How far off am I willing to be misaligned in my walk with Christ? 
Like what, what, how much space do I give to not be connected to him? Because at some point, something's gonna give. Um, and Israel had reached that point. It was time for them to have a, a realignment. And, and Ezra, who's the priest, he leads the charge here. So look at chapter seven, verse 10. He says, uh, for Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach his statutes and rules in, in Israel. That's it. One verse for the day, okay? I think, and I think this is actually enough for us because I, I wanna focus on what Ezra's doing here. Ezra sets his heart to listen to God first. Ezra sets his heart he sets his compass, he sets his morality, he sets his relationship with God on the Lord first, above everything else. Listens to God first. Uh, it says, Ezra set his heart. That word set there, or, or the word heken in the Hebrew, it means to be determined or to be firmly resolved. It means to be intent on. There's a, a strong determination in this word that is resolute, that if you were to put it in contrast to living according to the whims of the world, it stands in stark contrast. Like he is resolute on what he is putting his mind to. He's determined in his mind not to repeat the past 70 years. They, like he is going against that. But there's something really unique I think that's happening here um, with Ezra in, in this little section. Um, let me ask you, like what typically happens when something goes wrong at work or, or in your home? When, when you are driving somewhere and you get to the place that you're gonna go and you open up the door and you're expecting to be a, a diaper bag there and it's not there, like what happens? Or when you're at work and you see the list of people that were supposed to receive a call back and, you're, and, and they did not get called back and it's going to affect your bottom line, when you see that, what happens? Like, don't we start pointing fingers? Don't we like, we don't like, oh man, I, I, I messed this up. We, we start looking around to see who did it? Who didn't call people back? Who didn't grab the diaper bag? Certainly wasn't my fault. Somebody else missed it, right? I, I think it's hilarious when you're watching a football game uh, and, and you see somebody jump off sides. And you have the offensive lineman, and you have the defensive lineman, uh, the, uh, the ref blows the whistle, throws the flag, and immediately everybody on both sides of the line, what do they start doing? Uh, 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 uh. Like, they didn't jump off sides. It was somebody on the other side of the line. They couldn't possibly uh, have been jumping off sides. It wasn't them. It could not be on them. We point out somebody else instead of looking in the mirror. Ezra here, he is looking in the mirror and he's starting with himself. He's not blaming the left side. He's not blaming the right side. He's not blaming the indifferent middle. He's not blaming the weak-minded or the strong-minded. He's not blaming those who are theologically off or biblically off. He's not blaming anybody else. He says, how do I make these next 70 years different? It starts with me. What can I do? And so he personally sets his focus on three things. He says, for me, if the next 70 years are gonna be any different, I'm going to bury myself in God's word. I'm going to study it. I'm going to obey it. I'm going to practice God's words. And I'm going to teach God's word, which means I'm going to live it out. Everybody else may be doing whatever they want to do. They might be doing something different or, or living with some type of indifference. But I am focusing on these three areas. I'm going to study it. I'm going to personally practice it. And I'm going to teach it. And that teach it is just 
your life. It could be verbally teaching it or just my life. I'm just going to walk. I'm going to live Christ amongst people and share him as I live with him. He sets his heart. He was determined for things not to stay the same, to realign a whole culture under the authority of God's truth. And I think the challenge for us is no different. It's to set God's truth over our opinion. It's to to live out God's truth in every single area of our lives. What does God have to say about it? What does God have to say about it? What does God have to say uh, uh, about it? And let his word and what he would say impact our opinion on what we would initially want to do. But let's be honest, it's not easy to change somebody else's mind, is it? It's not easy to change somebody else's opinion. It's not easy to change how somebody else thinks because we have podcasts. People listen to their own podcasts. People listen to the bloggers. They read the bloggers. Um, We have books that we read. We have heroes that we follow. We have heroines that we follow. There's news channels that are set to our number one channel that that's the one we listen to. We have inlets and streams of videos that we listen to that inform our opinion or affirm the opinion that we already have. We won't budge off of it. And so we keep listening to those things. And so it's not easy to change somebody else. Uh, you, you, we do a lot of marriage counseling and uh, we do a lot of weddings and that sort of thing. And you've probably heard these things and maybe you did it yourself. Um, people get married and there's something about their, their fiance. They're like, ah, when we get married, I'll get that worked out. I'll, I'll fix that. And then you get married. It doesn't change, does it? It often gets worse. You're like, oh, I thought, and you know, how's that working out for you? It's difficult to change somebody else, but you can change, but you can change. You can let God do the work in you first before you expect the work to happen in somebody else. But the truth is it's easier to point at somebody else than it is for us to look in the mirror and to do the, let God do the work in ourselves. But if we don't set our heart, not expect somebody else to set their heart, If we don't set our own heart on the biblical and moral authority of God's word, it's going to be easy for us to drift off course with a culture that's always changing and the truth is, is subjective now. And it's not just changing in music and it's just changing in clothing styles. It's changing in things that really matter, like our view on God, our view on morality, our view on ethics, our view on life and death and sexuality and personhood. What does God have to say about it? Ezra set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach his statutes and rules in Israel. What matters most to you? What what shapes and informs what matters most to you? Whatever gets your eye, that's gonna have your attention. Whatever gets your attention is gonna get your time. Whatever gets your time is gonna start eventually shaping your heart. And what gets your heart is gonna be what matters most to you. And I've said this before, and 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 I'm gonna say it again, um, because I think it's so true, and I think it's Francis Chan who uh, originated with this. Um, He said, you can't be close to God and be far from his word. You won't just land on the thoughts of God unless you are getting into the thoughts uh, of God. And so what I want to do is, is, is I want to give you a challenge this morning. You guys ready for it? Um, 
I'm gonna ask you to, for this week to shut off your radio. I'm gonna ask you to turn off the XM. I'm gonna ask you to um, maybe, heaven forbid, push the power button on the TV and turn it off. Stop the news cycle for a minute in your house. Um, and I'm gonna ask you in those moments where you would be listening to the radio or watching the news, that you would open up your Bible. Physically, if you're in your house, if you're on the road, that you would open up a Bible app and listen. But to fill that time with, with God's word and to give your space to hear his opinion on your life and on the things that you're digging into and the things that you're believing and the choices that you're making, I wanna ask you to give God space to speak into your life without the distraction of, of any of the other noise. Um, we won't change somebody else, but we can let God begin to change us. God's word is so important. Moses said in Deuteronomy 6, he said, take this word, teach it to your kids. Repeat these words, talk about these words. When you sit down, when you get up and when you walk and when you lie down, take these words and put them in your home. Put them on your wrist, put them on your headbands. This is how important it was to Moses and to the people of Israel. Why? Because there was a culture that was against the truths that God had given them. And there were plenty of opinions and, and rights and wrongs and ups and downs, but God's word, his truth is what anchored his people so that they wouldn't drift. It's when they started walking away from his word, when they started to drift. God said to Joshua, don't let this book of the law depart from your mouth, but meditate on it day and night so that you might be able to do everything written inside of it. Paul said to, um, uh, to us, to, to the disciples, to, to the churches, he said, all scripture is God-breathed and profitable for teaching, correcting, rebuking, and training in righteousness that a man of God might be adequately equipped, equipped for every good work. Okay? God's word is important. So set your heart and watch God begin to do change in you. Would you pray with me? Father, thanks for time to dig into your word. Just a little bit. Uh, thanks, God, that uh, we have the opportunity to be challenged um, by you and um, to be challenged by uh, what's going on in our world, to constantly force us back to the truth, to not drift and to, to go off, but to just to come back to you and say, what do you think about this, God? What would you say about this, God? How would you handle this, God? And we find that in, in, in your word. And so this week, would you allow us to be people of truth? That 50% that we read in the Barna study, Lord, <clears throat> would you bump that up in our congregation and in our family here? Would you allow us to be people who open up your word and say, do work in my heart, I pray. In Jesus' name. Love you guys.